Hey everyone, I'm Cody, and you are listening to a public church podcast. I hope you enjoy the talk today, and thanks for listening. Good morning, online family. If we haven't met, my name is Todd, and I am just honored that we get to be together today. You know, most weeks I'm speaking to a dual audience, and I love that, but today it's just you and me. I kind of feel like some sappy country love song should play in the background, but we'll let you figure that on your own Spotify list. (laughs) But I really am just honored that we get to be together. In my mind, I'm just having a cup of coffee. I hope you're enjoying some coffee or tea, and, and we're just together, and really love for us to have a conversation. And I know you're like, um, how are we gonna have a conversation? It's kind of one-sided. I get that, you can comment in the chat, okay? Um, but also you can get in a community group because our community groups are talking through this content. We're going deeper into it. They meet in homes throughout the week. And so go to our public church app for more information on that because we really do want this to be a conversation. And my heart is just to get it started this morning. So we wanna launch from a place of reflecting on Maybe something we've observed growing up. I think most of us growing up, or at least if we look back in our past, we can probably say that the church has been known more by what it is against than what it is for. Now, all the people who don't follow Jesus, you can amen this part. Um, (laughs) This may actually be one of the reasons you don't follow Jesus. And I get it. I respect that. Because this is a problem, that often the church is known more by what it is against than what it is for. And and I don't have to give specific examples because, again, this is the world that most of us have lived in, have grown up in. If not, you can literally Google it and really quickly find some examples of this. But this is a problem because that's not who Jesus said we should be. And it's just a problem because our culture recognizes that it's better to be for something than against it. In fact, thought leader Simon Sinek wrote a book called The Infinite Game that I read earlier this year. And he was talking about this. And I just want to read a little bit of what he wrote in this idea of four verses against. He said this, leaders can rally people against something quite easily. They can whip them into a frenzy even. And look, we've seen this over and over. You whip people into a frenzy. And here's why. He says, for our emotions can run hot when we are angry or afraid. Being for something in contrast is about feeling inspired. Being for ignites the human spirit and fills us with hope and optimism. Let's contrast that. Being against is about vilifying, demonizing, or rejecting. Being for is about inviting all to join in common cause. Being against focuses our attention on the things we can see in order to elicit reactions, oftentimes visceral and angry ones. Being for focuses our attention on the unbuilt future in order to spark our imaginations. And then I'm I'm not gonna read much more, but he gives a really poignant example here. He says, imagine if instead of fighting against poverty, we fought for the right of every human to provide for their own family. The first, being against poverty, creates a common enemy, something that we are against. But the second gives us a cause to advance. The the second offers a vision of possibility, of dignity, and empowerment. We are not inspired to reduce poverty. We're inspired to grow the number of people who are able to provide for themselves and their families. I, I absolutely think that Simon Sinek is right in speaking about the power and the inspiration that comes with being for instead of being against. So today we wanna try to correct, if you will, the church's reputation as 
being known more by what we are against than what we are for, because Jesus said that we should be for people. And this word for that we're discussing today, it's the middle word in our series title, which is also a phrase for 2021. So if this is your first week with us, or maybe you slept through one of the other weeks, no judgment here. I'm just glad you're with us today. But just a quick recap, we began this series by asking this question. What is the starting point for following Jesus? And the starting point is not anything we do, it's something we receive. The starting point isn't actually where we, uh, the first phrase in, in, our, in our series title, it's not love displayed, the starting point is love received. See, to love like Jesus, we must first be loved by Jesus. That is the only entry point into following Jesus. And then last week, we really talked about two scriptures and two questions. We looked more at we looked at more than just these two scriptures and two questions, but as a church family, in order for us to really live out what it means to become love displayed, I'm inviting all of us to take every Wednesday and read two scriptures and ask two questions. The first scripture is John 13, 34, and 35, and that's going to anchor us in Jesus as the definition of love. Because Jesus said we should love, but he doesn't say love however you want. He says, love as I have loved you. And then Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, four through seven, he gives us love described. He gives us this list that we can evaluate in our everyday lives. Are we being patient? Are we being rude or are we being kind? And that's how we can know if we're being love displayed. So every Wednesday that we would read those two scriptures and ask two questions. The first, how has Jesus loved? And the second is how would Jesus love? And those two scriptures and two questions are gonna position ourselves to then become love displayed. And today we're gonna talk about four and next week we'll finish up our series by talking about the world. And as we continue this conversation on about being four people, Jeff Henderson is another just phenomenal leader and he wrote this book, Know What You're For. I've had people ask like, what's the first leadership book you would recommend? And I'm like, read this one, this is gold. And what he does, he takes this idea of being for people, he gives handles, he makes it super practical. But I wanna be clear that thought leaders like Simon Sinek and Jeff Henderson are talking about what it means to be for people instead of being against, but that's not the real inspiration for the talk. The inspiration for today's talk is that Jesus told us that we should be for people, that Jesus modeled a four lifestyle. And I absolutely think it's beautiful when these thought leaders are echoing something that Jesus taught us over 2000 years ago. So whether you're skeptical of the faith and you're like, okay, I probably trust Jeff Henderson or Simon Sinek more than I trust the word, or whether you are currently anchoring your life in the word, it's all aligning as we look at the power of being love displayed for the world. So we're gonna be in Matthew chapter 20. We're gonna hear from Jesus himself as he tells us what it means to be for people. And we're dropping into a scene that's honestly filled with some tension between him and his disciples based on a question that um, one of their moms asked. And let's just say there's some collaboration between the two brothers and the mom. They're all in this thing together. Here's what I mean. John, Matthew chapter 20, verse 20 says, Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. So these are two of Jesus's handpicked disciples, their mom and them, they collaborate, they come together. She's been super respectful. And so Jesus says, what is your request? He asked. 
And she replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. Um, This is the opposite of being for. And by saying that, I want to kind of back up and define what it means to be for. When we say for, here's what we mean. We are leveraging our influence to benefit others. You may want to write that down just to keep track of that. We are leveraging our influence to benefit others. That's a four lifestyle. We're even sacrificing, in other words, costing ourselves to lift others up. Now, just a quick reading of this text shows that she's doing the opposite. She's trying to leverage her influence to promote herself. And her sons are in on this. They're trying to leverage any kind of influence and relationship. And maybe they think they've pleased Jesus that day. So like, hey, we've been kind of good today, Jesus. So we want to ask this question. Um, We know you're number one, but we'd love to be number two and three. And judging by this question, there's probably going to be some arguments about which brother's two and which brother's three. But they're like, hey, can we get the benefits of following you? We want to maximize everything that we've got coming towards us which is a complete misunderstanding of the type of kingdom that Jesus was setting up. And that's why Jesus said in verse 22, um, Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you're asking. In other words, you don't get it. (laughs) He says, are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am able to drink? And they said, oh yes, they replied, we are able. One thing I notice here is that whenever we are self-promoting, and we're being for ourselves instead of being for others, <laughs> we tend to overestimate our own ability, don't we? We tend to think, I got this. Jesus, they, they don't get this, but Jesus is saying, guys, I'm about to die on the cross. I'm about to be murdered for the sins of the world. Can you suffer like I'm about to suffer? Now, they don't get it, and they overestimate their own ability, and in pride, they're like, of course we got this. It reminds me of Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before fall. So whenever we catch ourselves promoting ourselves, whenever we catch ourselves propping ourselves up against others, because they're basically saying, hey, we're the elite disciples, we're the two best ones, forget the other 10, it's a dangerous place to be. And Jesus says something to them that I think he would probably say to us. He said, you want to indeed drink from my bitter cup. And I'm not saying that all of us are going to suffer like they did, but he's saying, look, if you're truly going to follow me, this is a hard road. There's going to be difficulties. It's not just chocolate and roses. And he says, but guys, I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. Here, Jesus is saying, guys, I am not leveraging my authority to benefit and uplift myself. I'm living a life submitted to my father. I'm just doing what my father tells me to do. So clearly their request is really the antithesis of what Jesus is trying to teach them about the way they should live. Now verse 24 really isn't that surprising. It says, when the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant, angry, Frustrated is probably not appropriate because they're just like, what's going on? They're irate. And I wonder if some of them are irate because of the audacity of James and John and their mom to ask what they wish they had asked. Like, why did we let them ask first? We actually want to be number two and number three, not them. And the thing is, it's clear that they're operating on a different worldview than Jesus is. 
Their values aren't aligning with Jesus. So I love what Jesus does. He has what we would call a front door conversation. He doesn't beat around the issue. He just goes straight to it as he says, I guess let's calls them together and said, guys, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. He said, guys, you guys know this. In, in the culture that, that you were all raised in, that we're all lived in, it's all about me. It's all about getting to the top so we get the perks, so we get the benefits, so, so we can enjoy life. Even at the expense of others, that's fine as long as we're taken care of. We're, we're, we're against people. We're about ourselves. But then he says this, verse 26, but among you, it will be different. Let's read that again. So, but among you, it will be different. These words echo through this camera lens down into your living room, onto your deck, into the workout room you're in right now. As he says, if you follow me, if I follow Jesus, for all of us who follow Jesus among us, it will be different. We live in a culture that says promote yourself. It's okay to be against someone else as long as you're lifting yourself up. You need to be for someone and that's for yourself. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. In my movement, it will be different. He says, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. He says, guys, you want to be a leader? Then grab a towel and start serving people. Start washing some feet, which is what he did in John chapter 13. Start doing the stuff that nobody else wants to do. Practically in our world, that might mean start being the guy who takes out the trash at work instead of waiting for everybody else to do it. Start making another pot of coffee when you get the last cup instead of just hoping that somebody else will make it. It's those little things that Jesus is talking about in our everyday lives. He says, so if we want to lead, we got to serve. And then he says this, here's why. Here's the crux of this. Verse 28, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others. Jesus is God. He knows he's God. And in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, which I encourage you to take some time and read to supplement what we're talking about here, it says that Jesus never leveraged his status to promote himself. Instead, he lowered his status to lift others up. If anybody deserved to be served, it was Jesus. And he says, guys, I didn't come to be served but to serve. And then he says like this, and to give his life as a ransom for, for many. This word ransom is huge. We can't just skip over it. Peter, who was there, he picks up on this whole idea of ransom. And he says this in a letter he wrote, 1 Peter 1, verse 18. He says, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. This whole idea of ransom is that you would pay a price to buy someone out of slavery. You would pay a price to buy someone back, to buy someone's freedom for them. And he says, look, God paid a ransom for you. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. No, it was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose Jesus as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed. Here it is, for your sake. 
He says, Jesus gave his life as a ransom. Jesus paid the penalty because we were slaves to sin. And without Jesus, we are slaves to sin. There's no way we can find forgiveness on our own. There's no way we can earn our way out of all the mistakes that we've made. Let's be honest. There's no way we can stop sinning on our own. And so Jesus paid the price to cover the penalty for our sins. He paid for our freedom. And I love this. It says, God had this plan from the creation of the world. But now for your sake, for your sake, for my sake, now he sent him to earth and he died for us. That's why verse 21, through Christ, you've come to trust in God and you've placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. Jesus rose from the dead. He conquered death and he offers us life, but we can't miss the fact that we get life through his death, through his sacrifice. Jesus is the ultimate example of what it means to leverage our influence, our authority, our privilege for others. Jesus gave it all away. He died for the world. And I love that Matthew, after telling us this, we're going to go back to Matthew chapter 20. So he lays out what Jesus did and he tells us about this conversation. And then I think if Matthew were here with us, he would say, guys, you wouldn't believe what happened next. Like Jesus had taught us this and we don't quite understand it, but we know like we've missed it and we're pretty humbled at this point. And, And then the brilliant thing about Jesus, he didn't just say things, he did them. And in fact, just just read what I wrote. He said, soon after, it says, as Jesus and the disciples left the town of Jericho, a large crowd followed behind. Two blind men were sitting beside the road. When they heard that Jesus was coming that way, they began shouting, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Notice what everybody says. Be quiet, the crowd yelled at them. In other words, hey, you're less than. You're not worthy of Jesus. We want Jesus. We are better than you. We can see We have a higher status than you, so don't take our time from Jesus. We want Jesus' attention. But these blind beggars, they, they, they shouted louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on this. And when Jesus heard them, he said, I don't have time for you. No. When Jesus heard them, he stopped and called, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, they said, we want to see. Jesus, we want to see. And Jesus felt sorry for them. Don't miss this. It it took a lot for these guys, not just to ask for money, but to be authentic about what they really needed was their sight. They spent their whole lives as beggars just asking for money. And now Jesus says, deeper than what you want right now for this moment, what do you really need deep down? You need your sight. And so Jesus felt sorry. He felt compassion for them and touched their eyes instantly they could see, and then they followed him. Jesus right here, leveraging his power, giving away his time to benefit others. And John, who's one of the ones who was like, so Jesus, uh, could I get number two or number three? And honestly, I'd prefer if James was number three and I was number two, like, and got his mom involved in this. John, he wrote this, reflecting on Jesus's life. In John chapter two, you can go back and read it. He said, guys, I didn't get it at this time. But as I've reflected, I remember this four lifestyle Jesus lived. In fact, this whole thing kind of kicked off at a wedding. So we're at this wedding and they run out of wine. And all of us are like, well, that kind of 
is not very good. And it's actually really bad in this culture because in our culture, if you run out of wine, it kind of means you're being stingy. You're going to carry some shame for years. The, the bride and groom may actually think it's a sign of, of like, it's a bad omen for their marriage because they didn't have enough wine to finish the whole party that was happening in this festival. And so they run out of wine and Jesus's mom is there and she kind of gives him that look like, you know, son, it's your moment. And he's like, mom, what you talking about? And then all of a sudden she just tells the servants, do whatever he says. And before we know it, Jesus is telling them to grab water pitchers and put water in it. And then all of a sudden they've got these water pitchers and they pour it out and it's wine. Jesus turned water into wine. And yes, that was a bigger sign. Like looking back, I know that Jesus was teaching us that he was doing something brand new from within the Jewish system because these water jars represented the Jewish purification ritual. And so look, there's this huge sign and ultimately Jesus is saying, I'm God. But in that moment, you know what else he did? He made the party better. In fact, he saved that family from shame. And when the host of the party tasted the wine, he looked at them and said, look guys, a lot of people, they serve their best wine first. And when everybody's, you know, had a little bit too much, they kind of bring out the cheap stuff. But you, you saved your best for last. Like what a party, what an event, what a wedding. All because of Jesus. He didn't let a wedding be ruined. But he leveraged his, his power to say, I'm God. And oh, by the way, God is for you. <laughs> Even for you at this That's the four lifestyle Jesus lived. And his earliest followers, they picked up on it. This morning, we're actually recording this on Tuesday. And this morning, um, my wife, Whitney, she told me as she was reading through Colossians, just in her time in the word. And she's doing that because Cody Disney, our worship pastor, has asked the, the team serving this week just to, to simply read through Colossians in preparation to get ready for what Jesus wants to do through our worship night. And she said, hey, I'm reading through Colossians. And Paul, who wrote that, he was four people. And then she read me this, and I want to read it to you guys. Colossians 2, 1 in the message, Paul writes, I want you to realize that I continue to work as hard as I know how for you and also for the Christians over at Laodicea. Not many of you have met me face to face, but that doesn't make any difference. Know that I'm on your side, right alongside you. You're not in this alone. That's the culture of the Jesus movement that we're love displayed for people, that we should not have as our banner all the things we're against, but our banner should be who we are for. Because the Jesus who we follow, he said, guys, here's what I came to do. I came not to serve, but to serve, to give my life as a ransom for many. And in John 13, 15, he said, I've given you a pattern. Now do what I have done. And what is so incredible is that there are people in our church family who are doing this. I'm actually going to stand up for just a moment because I can't say this next part sitting down. I'm just fired up. So, so here's the thing. When I think about what it means to live this four lifestyle, I think about Tiffany Duell. I think about Tiffany and her husband, Noah, because on Easter, we had a special outdoor gathering plan. And man, it was awesome. If you were there, you remember how special it was. And we had something very special for our online family as well. But we knew that this, this gathering outside was going to give us a chance to gather people that maybe hadn't seen each other in a while. There's going to be energy and, and all the things that we thought happened. You know what Tiffany said? She decided that 
they were going to skip our in-person Easter outdoor gathering. Why? Because instead, they were going to host an Easter party in their garage for their neighbors. Because they live with their neighbors, their kids play together, they love them, they talk to their neighbors about Jesus. Whether or not their neighbors follow Jesus, it's just part of who they are, and they love them and point them to Jesus. And she saw Easter as a moment that she could sacrifice something that she knew her and her family would enjoy, being at our Easter gathering, in order to lift up her neighbors, to serve her neighbors, to love her neighbors. That's what it's about. That's a four lifestyle. Saying, I would love to be here, but instead, because I love you, I'm going to sacrifice for you. And then I think about a person in our church family who called me earlier this year and said, uh, Todd, you know, I'm thinking about buying a house and giving it to public church. Oh. You're thinking about what? Buying a house and giving it to public church? Yeah, I'm thinking about buying a house and giving it to public church. Um, you have some ideas. Here's some ideas of how I think it could be used to benefit people. What are your thoughts? And then he did it. This guy bought a house and gave it to public church. This is unbelievable. And so as he was for the mission of this church and the vision of this church, we said, okay, now how can we be for our community? And so we gathered some nonprofit leaders and some other people that are really just serving people and began a conversation and began to dream about, hey, is there a way that we could collaborate and different groups could use this house? And after that initial meeting, three of those leaders actually got together. And as they talked about, hey, how could we make this work if, you know, each of us kind of share part of this? It became pretty clear that there was one organization that in order to, to get what they really needed, they just needed the whole house. And these two other leaders said, hey, even though it's going to cost us the opportunity to use this house, you should be direct with public church and say, we need it all because you do. And we want you to have it all. That's generosity, that's being for people. And so I wanna to announce to you guys that as we were given a church, now we are, are not given a church, let me back up. As we were given a house, now we are able to loan the use of that house to Willow Bend Farms. Isn't that incredible? So somebody gave it to us in the spirit of four and now we're able to say, hey, how can you use it? You guys use this, Willow Bend Farms. And if you're not familiar with them, they're one of our local justice partners and they are fighting for the restoration of women who are caught up in the web of sexual violence and sexual exploitation and sexual trafficking. And can you imagine the ladies that are gonna experience freedom through that house? And it all started with somebody in our church family saying, I've got some resources and I want to sacrifice my resources for someone else. That's what following Jesus is all about. So as we wrap up today, I just want to leave us a simple challenge. <laughs> what does it look like to be for people? What does it look like for us as a church? What does it look like for us as individuals who make up a church, to leverage our influence to benefit others, to literally sacrifice, to cost ourselves something, to lift others up. Thought leaders in our culture are saying, man, this is what great leaders do. And Jesus said, if you're gonna lead in my movement, <laughs> this is what you have to do. For even the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. We can be a part of changing the narrative. So when people think about Jesus's church, not just public church, but Jesus's global church, they begin to think about who we are for rather than what we are against. And they don't see us, well, actually they do see us standing in stark contrast to a culture that says, promote yourself, get yours, advance yourself, do whatever it takes to build your brand. They see us in stark contrast of saying, no, actually we're gonna sacrifice. We're, We're gonna leverage the influence that we've been given just to benefit you, to benefit people who may one day follow Jesus or may one day not ever follow Jesus because we're just gonna be four people with no strings attached. Because Jesus died for us, whether we ever follow him or not. And so the action for us is if you don't follow Jesus, do you wanna follow him? He died for you, he he paid the price, he is the ransom, gave his life away. So you do not have to pay the penalty of your sins. And if you wanna follow Jesus, just talk to him. Just tell him, Jesus, I, I want to be forgiven. You died and you rose again, and I just want to follow you. And, and if you make that decision or if you have questions about that, please text us, 423-665-9317. We want to have a conversation with you, and we want to talk about next steps of what it means to embrace the journey of following Jesus. And, and for all of us, honestly, whether or not we follow Jesus, here's an action step that I want to encourage us to take. Let's just open our eyes and step into the opportunities that are going to come for us to be for people. It, really, it's gonna happen. It's just a matter of us being aware, of us looking for these opportunities, and when they present themselves, for us to step in and seize the moment to leverage our influence to benefit someone else. Because in so doing, we will be following the way of Jesus. So Jesus, you model what it means to be for people. And I just pray that you would open our eyes to the opportunities that we have before us this week and that we would just take that step. We would move into that opportunity and that we would follow the pattern that you have so clearly laid out. Forgive us for the times that We've been more against people than for people. Forgive us for the times that we've promoted ourselves at the expense of others. And forgive us for the times that we're gonna do that and open our eyes to where we miss it. And I pray that you would give us the courage to confess that, to repent from it, to turn from it. And that over the course of the next year, as we sit in this idea of love displayed for the world, that you would just teach us and grow us in how to not look to be served, but to serve and to give our lives away for the world. We love you, Jesus, and we cannot do this without you. And it's in your name, matchless and unrivaled name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'd love to connect with you on any of our social media platforms at A Public Church or through our app or website, publicchurch.com. To give towards the vision of Public Church, you can do so through our app or website via PushPay or by texting Public Church in all caps with no space to 77977. Again, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day.